0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: You know, I was going to, in this first segment tonight, we were expecting that uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger was going to be joining us. Because as we talked about last night, if you were here last night, Councillor Whitehead, Councillor Terry Whitehead was on with us to talk about this meeting, this LRT meeting that was going on today. Started at 10.30 this morning. and, And I understand that it started promptly at 10.30 this morning. And this was the meeting. This was the opportunity for people to have their say on the LRT in a public forum. I mean, I know there's been public meetings and public consultations and all these things, but not a ton of people have showed up apparently for this. This was the chance to actually speak to the folks that make the decision. This was the chance for people to put forward their name as a delegation, come before city council and speak their mind pro or con for the LRT. Whether this will be the last chance to do that, I'm not sure, but this was going to be the big moment. <clears throat> and so probably to the surprise of nobody, it's been a long meeting, but I will admit that to the, to my surprise, it's still going. Started at 10:30 this morning. We're moving up to the nine hour mark and this meeting is still going on. It was something like four o'clock this afternoon. 3.30, 4 o'clock, when the delegations ended, when the people who had put their names forward to speak, either for or against LRT, they had gone until 3.30 or 4 o'clock. I mean, it had gone on forever. They're going to be shoveling people out of this council chamber at the end of this one. This is a gr- this is a grueling meeting, let's be honest. But the question is, and, and of course, council, uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger would have joined us, but he's still in the meeting. The meeting is still going on they still are sorting through stuff so what i want to know from you tonight because i'm fascinated by this i'll be honest not the lrt per se i mean that's we all have our opinion on that are you impressed as a citizen of this city are you impressed with the idea that so many people seemingly are so engaged and so determined to have their say and feel such a need to be part of the democratic process. Are you impressed with that? Or are you kind of shaking your head that at this point in the process, because this has been going on for months, years, that at this point in the democratic process, we're still in a almost nine hour meeting and still fighting over this thing, going back and forth and not really seemingly reaching any kind of consensus. I'm not saying that they're not going to be consensus. Eventually, there's going to be a decision. Absolutely, there's going to be a decision. At some point, you have to. Even if the decision is no, that's a decision. But are you, are you looking at this going, you know what? This is a perfect, perfect demonstration of democracy and good civic engagement at work. Are you looking at this saying, I am so blown away with how good this is for our city? Or are you looking at this saying... I cannot believe, I absolutely cannot believe that all these many months and years into the process, we are still just at the point where we're fighting over things about this process. Love to hear from you tonight. We've got time. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Same numbers that you were calling in for the quiz question. Are you impressed or are you horrified by the fact of what is going on with the LRT discussion right now? that we are engaging everybody or that we're still engaging everybody. It's kind of, it's, it's a fine line, but it's, you know, and I, and I'm not interested. Let's be honest. For this segment, I'm not interested in whether or not you are pro LRT or anti LRT. That's not the issue. That lots of time has passed to be able to have that. I'm simply interested in whether or not you think that this is a great sign of civic engagement, or whether you think this is an absolutely ridiculous situation that we're still fighting over it at this point. Frank is on the line. Frank, how are you tonight?
2: I'm very well, thanks. Uh, Excellent. I'll, always listening to you, uh, and this is a very good one too uh as many of your topics are thanks Frank. scott i'm i am impressed i'm very i'm i'm more than i'm i am impressed i am i am glad because like you said it's a good indication of democracy but foremost is the fact that this isn't this is a why we should not have a referendum. This is a why that tells you like it is from each each, each person and they prepared themselves for it and and it's 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 balanced between the yay and the nay, which is good. And it, and it also uh, avoids you just putting an X down on something to say no without any good reason involved. There's all kinds of reasons why so, somebody might, for whatever reason, close their eyes and put an X down on something. It, it sounds silly. But I am very impressed, if that's, if that's what you want to know, because it's given us a chance to, to, to prove that council is not just going to do what they want to do. They want to do it in the, in, the, in, the, in the voice of the people.
1: You know, I, I hope you're right. I absolutely hope you're right. The, the the flip side of that, Frank, and the part of it that um, that I wonder about, too, is when you say that this is the reason we don't want a referendum, I am interested in knowing, and there's no way we can ever find this out, I don't think, how many people are actually, even if they're not engaged as far as being there or being in part of the delegations, how many people are actually keeping an eye on this, either on Twitter or watching it on TV or listening on the radio? How, is it only the people who are the diehards who are following this, in which case, you know, I, I, okay, the diehards are engaged. Is that is that good enough? If it's only the people who are there, is that good enough still?
2: Well, you know, everybody can't be there. Uh That's Scott, true. But what <laughs> I'm looking for now is the report card. Let's look for the report card. Will the will the spectator uh have a have a uh, you know, some kind of a uh a conclusion to this or will they come out with a with an indication of how how council that is, how they feel about the input that's put together here. Has it really raised their eyebrows? Has it really made them think about things they weren't thinking about before?
1: I am very positive that uh, Matthew Van Dongen and Andrew Dreschel, who are both down there, um, assuming they're both still, they haven't slipped into a coma nine hours into this whole process, <laughs> I, I'm sure they'll do an excellent job. And I know Ken Mann was down there earlier for most of the day today, and CHCH has been there. I mean, everybody's been there. Um, it's you know what? It's it's just a it's an on ongoing thing. Frankly, listen, I really appreciate the call tonight. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, what do you think? Do you agree with Frank that this is a great thing that democracy is at play? Is this a sign that democracy is at work in our city? Or, or, quite frankly, is this a sign that, you know what, this is a decision that should have been made a long time ago and we're just dragging this thing out and keeping the door open and never wanting to make a decision and let's just keep throwing meeting after meeting after meeting and hearing after hearing after hearing. And eventually... We'll wear everybody down. It's, I mean, it's one or the other. I don't think that you can look at it from both sides and say, oh no, it's fantastic that we're doing this again and hearing everybody, but whatever. You're either thrilled that there is this much engagement or you're scratching your head that a decision still has not been reached and this is still going on. Luke is frantically waving through the glass, wants to get in on this one. I am scratching my head because the
3: decision has already been made. That's why this is dumb, because council made a decision. They said, we're going to take the money to build the LRT. And then one councillor has caused this entire thing to happen by believing that he can change the decision that has already been made. Hey, it works for Henry Fonda and 12 Angry Men. He has stirred up... A bunch of people on the anti-LRT side, which has caused all of the pro-LRT people to come out. This is not to me democracy in action. This is simply a response. There have always been a bunch of pro-LRT people. The problem is the anti-LRT people are incredibly loud right now. And so that's why they're coming back out. For the majority of the time, when when uh, the after the decision was made, but when the councillor was still thinking he could get things changed the pro lrt crowd was just like the decision was already been made what's the point in even giving him the time of day because the decision was already made but now it's clear that for some reason the rest of council has given credence to the idea that they're going to overturn their decision because a bunch of people loud people have screamed and yelled and but is that not democracy (laughs) is that i mean is it not democracy? but it's not because it's it's a loud minority right now I'd, I'd love to know the exact numbers of, of for and against people that have spoken at this meeting today. For some reason, nobody has, has put that out there, but I'm willing to bet that the majority of them are pro-LRT. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, there are questions. I, 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 don't, I don't entirely, and maybe I'm alone in this or maybe I'm one of the few, I don't entirely dismiss what Councillor Whitehead has done as far as raising some questions. I don't think he's going to change the outcome of this thing. I really don't but if simply raising the questions and having solid answers is what the what the outcome of this is so people are more sure because look you don't want to have and maybe it's unavoidable now you do not want to have a situation like you had with the stadium where right to the moment not even past the moment when shovels were in the ground people are still arguing and angry with each other that you have this schism in the city. No, of course not, but that's that's what we're headed towards. I know, but ideally, if you could get all the answers given so compellingly, so convincingly in a way that 90% of people will say, you know what, okay, I'm not a big fan, I'll never use it, but okay, you know what, I can live with it. That's that's better to me than having a 50-50 or whatever the more down the middle split is. I would much rather have that. I would much rather have that. And if this process can lend itself to that, to that final outcome, then yeah, bring it on. If we can, through these meetings, answer some of the questions that the people who are against the LRT have, if they can finish with this and then say, you know what? All right. It's not my thing. I don't love it, but I'm comfortable now that I've learned enough about it that I can live with this that to me makes it a success well now I- if it goes the other way then it's a problem if this if all this does is pour more fu- more gas on the fire then we end up with another stadium situation where everyone's just constantly fighting even to the point where the they're putting their LRT trains on the tracks and we're still arguing about it so we we shall see apparently, I believe. Hold your hats, because it appears that there has been a small break of some kind in the meeting. And we are thrilled to be able to say that somehow the mayor, Fred Eisenberger, has escaped for at least a few minutes from council chambers. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this.
4: Uh, You're welcome, Scott. Uh, Yeah, I I needed a bit of a break.
1: I was going to say, can we send over a stiff drink for you to, to tide you through for the rest of the evening or something?
4: Gin and tonic would be lovely. <laughs> these, a little lime, a little lime for me, please. These
1: God. must be the days when you sit there in your chair during a moment of introspective thinking and say, "Why exactly again did I run for mayor?" <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you know, quite the opposite, actually, Scott. You know, really? I mean, these are these are the kinds of issues that uh, that are so important to our community, and you know, they're not they're not simple issues, and there's lots of complexity. And uh, you know, certainly appreciate uh, all the people that came down and. Brought their views forward, and uh, and you know we're having a, you know a good informative discussion. And you know, I mean, there are there are moments I suppose when uh, I'm hearing questions that have been answered a long, long time ago, and people are asking them like this is the first time they've heard them. But you know what? That's politics, and uh, we move on from that.
1: I should but, ask uh, you: by, Is by the meeting? Large, Sorry, go ahead.
4: Large, it's been a it's been a, a actually a great day, and I, I've really uh, really appreciated the uh, the tone and the tenor of the discussion by and large, and, uh, you know, great questions, and all of them need to be answered. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a long-term project, and uh, we we need people on board and on side uh, ready to keep uh, keep this thing moving forward. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be uh, worthwhile, and we need everybody on board to get there.
1: Is the meeting actually done, or did you just step out to take a quick break?
4: I I literally just stepped out. I I am pretty sure we're in for a couple more hours.
1: Are the questions that you're getting whether it was with the delegations this morning or around the council table now are these are you hearing I mean you, you said some of them have been asked but are you hearing a lot of fresh issues being raised or is it just circling around and going over the same territory that's been done over and over again
4: yeah I mean I, I, I think I think we. I didn't really hear anything new uh, you know I heard concern for the businesses we, we have had that right from the very beginning I've heard some make a case between Main Street and King Street and we've had a you know on that and an explanation as to why uh king street was chosen which is you know pretty simple actually i mean it's the most successful successful uh, transit line that we have and if you want to have a successful lrt line you pick the area where you're going to you, you know you're going to have success right off the get-go and that's certainly the b line and, and that 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 was done by metrolink some seven or eight years ago so i'm not i'm not hearing anything new but i mean but but to be fair, there are probably new people to the issue. I mean, there are new people in our community. There are some people that haven't paid attention for a while that are now dialing in, and of course, there's lots of people out there that have different perspectives on what they want to see happen here. And, and you know, we see, we hear many of those same issues come forward uh, every time we meet.
1: When you were listening to the delegations today, and there were lots of them—a couple dozen, I think, at least, maybe more than yep. that. Yep. Um, what was the? If, was there one? issue from the no side that was the dominant issue? And was there one from the yes side that was the dominant issue that you kept hearing over and over again that was sort of the overwhelming reason why those who were opposed were opposed and why those who were in favor were in favor?
4: So so on the no side, predominantly their argument is we don't have all the information. Uh, that's, that's what you hear from people uh, repeatedly, that we don't have answers to this or that or whatever it is. Uh, and, and there are some areas, uh, admittedly, where we don't have all the answers. And, uh, you know, that is not atypical to any major project that we've done. So on the, on the expressway, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know what the ec- economic uplift was going to be. We, in fact, we didn't even know until the very end uh, what the funding number was going to be for the city of Hamilton uh, when we built it. And a number of outstanding issues were not resolved when we were well into construction, like the Rainy Street, uh, Brampton uh, landfill site. And, uh, you know, those, I mean, issues that come up all the way along are unanswerable until you actually get in them. But the the overriding issue was we think this is a good thing for the city of Hamilton. So on the the no side, I, I hear you don't have all the answers. You cannot possibly move forward without everything sorted out ahead of time can't be done, uh, hasn't ever been done on a major project, and uh, we will sort them out as we go on, ma- on some instances. On the majority of the issues, uh, we know exactly what's happening. On the uh, on the yes side, um, um, I'm going to say that uh, there's frustration, that, uh, that uh, you know, we've been, we, we've been at this for 10 years now. Uh, there's a lot of information that's been thrown out. Uh, there are a couple of instances today that uh, people ask questions about issues that, you know, were well-known, you know, back in August. So, you know, what is that $1.2 billion for? Well, it's a $1 billion for LRT and $200 million for a GO station on Centennial Parkway. And, you know, we heard some people asking that question as if they had, that that this was the first time they heard this. So that's a little frustrating. And I think that's what frustrates the yes side is, you know, so much information that we've gone over uh, time and time and time again, people should be well aware, especially members of council, and, uh, and they find that frustrating that uh, they have to go over this issue over and over and over again, seemingly.
1: Let me ask you what probably falls into that category of one, because the question that, I, that comes up when I talk about this with people most often, and I, I don't know if it's the same with you, but the most common question is, do we have absolute assurances that if there are cost overruns on this, that it goes over a billion, let's say it comes in, something happens and it's unexpected and it comes in at 1.3 or 1.4 billion, yep. that the city is not going to be on the hook and our taxes are not going to pay the brunt of $300 million of added expenses. Do we know for sure that yes. everything 100% is covered?
4: Yes. So so here's the thing. The has identified a billion dollars for this LRT project. Uh, if they, uh, they go out to procurement and it comes in at, uh, at, a, at a billion two, Uh, they're either going to go out to to look for ways of shaving that number down to a billion dollars, or they're going to go look for more funding, but but not funding from the city of Hamilton. So it's a provincial project. I think what people need to realize is this is provincial dollars. They're going to design, build, own, and operate this uh, LRT line. Uh, They may contract it out to someone to operate, uh, let's say, the HSR, for instance. But, But at the end of the day, it's their money. Uh, the provincial money. It's their project. Uh, any cost overruns is their responsibility. Uh, if uh, they uh, they find that uh, it's more expensive for their, uh, for their pocketbook and they want to shave it down to, you know, a billion dollars, then they may adjust the amount of LRT we're going to get.
1: Do you get the sense, just, I know you got to get back in there, so just another minute or two here, but do you That's get right. the sense at this point, that as much as a political argument and a political debate as this is right now, that this is a battle for hearts and minds in the city? Because you don't, I mean, you've been through it before. Mm-hmm. Luke and I were just talking before you came on. You don't want to end up in a similar, we may already be there, but in a situation similar to the stadium where even when the shovels were going in the ground, people are still fighting. Is this as much to... You know what, let's throw it all out there and let's have another big discussion today and hopefully some people who are on one side or the other, we can come to an agreement and feel good about this when we finally decide to do something.
4: God, I, I, you know, I'm in a perfect world. When we were doing the expressway, it wasn't unanimous uh, all the way through. And you know, as you recall, right to the very end, even while we were during construction, people were strapping themselves to trees. There are lots of issues. So, I, I, you know, this is not. This is this is not. This is a never-ending process. It's going to be a challenge from now until it's done. And uh, there are going to be opposers, and there's going to be people that are going to rail against some of the issues. Um, I imagine the next election may very well, uh, you know, be about this particular issue. I mean, we may have procured it by then, but there, I think there will still be an issue that some people will want to rail against. So uh, I, I just don't see this going away, and I th- I've said this often. I think this is, this is going to be a roller coaster right from now until, until the project is finished and uh that is not uh, you know unusual for you know if you look at kitchener waterloo there's lots of consternation there now uh you know a little more than there used to be because they're right in the middle of construction uh in in, in ottawa there's some consternation but you know when the projects are finished you know everybody stops and says why didn't we do this about 10 or 15 years ago so and you know none unlike the expressway so as you recall it was a long journey And, uh, you know, folks were were bitter about it. And, you know, some people are still bitter about it today. But at the end, in the end of the day, um, most people appreciate that the Expressway has been a blessing for the entirety of our city. And I think LRT will fall into that same category.
1: Just before I let you go, last thing, before you came on, uh, we were taking some calls asking people, is this, are they impressed when you look at a meeting like today and the amount of delegates and everything else? Are you impressed with democracy in action, that you have so many people engaged in mm-hmm. discussing this? Or at this point along the way, are you saying, this is ridiculous? I mean, how could we not have come up with an answer and, and figured this out by now? Which side do you fall on in that one?
4: <laughs> Listen, I'm a patient guy, uh, Scott. <laughs> so I, you're not going to get me into that, uh, into that trap. I, I, I want this to cross the finish line. I'm, uh, I'm, we're going to keep working to ensure that people have all the information they need. Uh, you know, right now, as of today, uh, you know, based on Council's decisions, and that we're not, you know, we're really not talking about whether we should or we shouldn't. I mean, in the minds of some, that's true, but that's not where we've been. We've already decided to have an agreement with the province of Ontario. We've already expended some 60 or $70 million that we found out today in terms of contracts that we've, that's been let. We're well down the path towards implementation. Does that mean that there aren't going to be some folks out there that are going to be frustrated by the pace and, how, uh, in, in some minds, how slow this is going? Yes. And, and in others, we're, uh, we're, we're doing far too much, and we should never have been, be, never have been involved in this process at all. So, you know what, I, you can't win that battle. Uh, all, all I know is, from where I sit and what I, what I think, I, I think a majority, a silent majority out there, believes that over the long run this is good for the city of Hamilton. You, you can witness that in the other communities that have done this, uh, there is an uh, economic benefit that comes with this. There's m- better movement of people throughout our community. And there's an, an air quality and environmental benefit of having an electrified system. And so, uh, you know what, if, if those are the foundations of my decision-making process. Uh, you know, I think hopefully people are focused on that as they move forward. And, um, you know what, is there still going to be consternation? Yep. Uh, you know, I'm getting tweets from people saying, why, why are we still talking about this? And other people are saying, "You, you're, uh, you're, you, you idiots shouldn't be talking about this at all."
1: Well, listen, I, I will let you get back. I, I don't know if we'll send the gin and tonic right to the mayor's dais in the city cha- council chambers. That might not look great. I got to be honest with you. If someone, if a waiter walked in with a gin and tonic in the middle of the meeting, yeah, uh, just but
4: make it look like a gin and tonic.
1: We'll, we'll put it in a Gatorade put it, put it
4: bottle. Put it in a. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you now know that the next Tim Hortons you sip, everyone's going to yeah. be saying, "I wonder what's in that cup." Mayor Fred Eisenberger, thanks thanks for doing this tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guy. Uh, he is uh, now going right back into that never-ending LRT meeting that could go on for who knows how long. I just wanted to to touch on something that the mayor brought up about,
3: like what was the most. You you asked him what the most prevalent thing from both sides was, and he said from the pro-LRT side that it was frustration over certain questions like the question, what's the money for? And that one... I happen to empathize with the with the activists because, you know what, that's directly the result of two city councillors, Councillor Whitehead and Councillor Skelly, who up until even weeks ago have been raising the, well, why can't we just use it for infrastructure? Even though this question was answered so long ago and multiple times, and honestly, the last time Kathleen Wynne, the Premier, was here, she gave, like... I don't want dismissive, I guess would be the best way to describe her answer when somebody asked that question, because even she knows this question was asked a long time, answered a long time ago. And the fact is a lot of people about every issue are going to be informed because no, un, uninformed, because no normal citizen has the time to so, sort through all of this. And so they're just going to buy whatever the counselor or whatever the leader of their group is saying. And if the counselors are saying, why can't we use this for something else? Then they're going to take it hook, line and sinker. And that's why we have this problem.
1: Guess which side of the argument Luke is on? Anybody? Anyone? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9
0: on AM 900 CHML.
1: In Ottawa today, Prime Minister Trudeau was speaking to a bunch of um, young millennial workers, and, well, he got an earful. I think this is the first time that this has happened since he won election. But he went to this meeting, and it was with the uh, young worker It was a young workers' summit, and the young workers who were there, and most of them are probably in their twenties or thereabouts, were not happy. I don't know if you heard the clips from this earlier today. Uh, some of them were heckling. A number of them were turning their backs on him as he was trying to talk. It was, uh, it was as effusive, a demonstration against the prime minister and against his party, as I think that he's probably seen since he's taken office. But the funny thing is, is that it's not really funny, not funny in a ha ha way, funny in a, well, that kind of falls into line kind of way. We have seen in the last number of weeks, a series of articles, stories, That all, when you put them together, all start to form this narrative, this picture of why young workers would be getting really upset. Now, if you are a young worker, I probably don't have to tell you. If you're someone coming out of university or in university, I don't have to tell you. Luke, who's behind the glass, young guy who is making his way. You know what? It is a tough thing these days. But let me tell you. Let me. We're going to put the pieces together, and this is from a bunch of different articles that have been out in the last little while, to try and explain the narrative of why millennials, especially, but young people, university students, and onward, are so upset right now about jobs. And perhaps this is all well duh. You know, I mean, maybe maybe this all just is logical and and easy to follow. But if you start looking at studies that are out there and stories, here it is. You start with the fact. That today, Workopolis, which is a website where you can find jobs, they, and they also do studies on who's doing what and everything else, found that the new normal in the world of jobs, of careers, is job hopping. Very few people, if you are someone who went to work for company X when you were 21 years old, like the old days when people would go work for Stelco or DeFasco and you stayed there for your entire career or somewhere else, Workopolis has, and many other places say, that does not happen anymore. That is is a time gone by. The U.S., now this is in the States, but we're similar enough. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says the average worker now will hold 10 jobs before they're 40. 10 jobs. So you are not going somewhere Getting comfortable, getting your corner office desk. I mean, some people are, but most people it is you go, you work for a little while, you move on. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, the first thing that means is that you're not necessarily getting seniority. So your job security is not great. But the other thing this means for the longer term is that if you're not staying at a certain place for very long, you are not going to be building a pension right? So now you're a young person who's got different job, different job, different job. You're looking down the road towards your future. And what happens when you get to retirement age and you don't have a real pension? Well, the second part about this is that we're living longer. So you are now looking at this saying, okay, uh, I, my parents, my grandparents may have expected to live to 75, 80, whatever. We're, we're expecting now to live quite a bit longer than people did in the past. Then you throw in the third part about this. Living has become very expensive in this country. Things are going up in price. I'm not even just talking about hydro and those kind of things, and gas. Living is becoming expensive. We're jumping from job to job. You aren't building the security and the seniority and getting the higher pay. The Broadband Institute says that we are saving dramatically less. People today, younger people, who are in the early stages of their careers, are saving dramatically less. This is shocking, this next part. Uh, The Broadband Institute did a study on this and found half of Canadians, half, have total savings in their bank or wherever else they have it, total savings that represent less than one year's one year's worth of the resources they need to supplement their CPP or their Ontario retirement or wherever else, one year. So forget about retirement, forget about thinking when you're 65 that I've got all that money stashed away. According to this, half the people in Canada have less than one year's worth of savings, but no pension. You understand to get the picture of why the young people when they go and talk to Prime Minister Trudeau are upset But we continue. Ever since we got rid of mandatory retirement at age 65, more and more and more people who are now... I mean, 65 is not what 65 used to be. 65 was... Let's be honest, 65 at one time was considered elderly, maybe on the borderline of elderly. Now, you can be a very youthful 65. What do you do when you're 65 and now they say, well, you should retire? And you say, yeah, but what am I going to do with myself? i got another 20, 25 years maybe if things are good. So more and more people are sticking around. According to Statistics Canada, the number of people in the workforce who are 55 and older there are 170,000 more of them in that bracket today than even this time last year. Think about that. Remember the Freedom 55 ads where you would want to retire when you're 55? Certainly by 65, you were going to be out. Now, hundreds of thousands of people who are reaching those ages are not retiring because they want to stick around and either make more money or they don't have anything else to do and they like their job, whatever else. According to StatsCan, StatsCan, million Canadians age 55 and up. That's how many there are. There are 10.6 million Canadians age 55 and up, according to StatsCan. 36% of those are either working or looking for work. So we go back to the young people. If these people who have this experience, who have jobs, who are no longer obligated to move along, jobs aren't opening up. Positions are not there that might have been because they are being, there's a a glut at the other end. So all these things are starting to work together and you're talking about why young people are getting upset about their jobs. So you now have older people worried about staying alive longer, not having enough savings who are staying in their jobs for longer, blocking things up, younger people coming out of university who are all, by the way, being told all of them, every kid who goes to high school now basically is being told you have to go to university. You have to go to university. There are a lot of kids, and we've talked about this on the show with experts and with professors before. Not everybody is cut out for university, but everyone's being told, you got to go to university, and then you go through university, and a lot of people then walk out with tens of thousands of dollars in debt, but they can't find a job because the jobs are all filled up at the other end. Plus, here's the last big step of this, and you know this. We saw the story today. Did you see the story today on the news about the Budweiser truck? For the first time, a transport truck filled with thousands of cases or hundreds of cases of Budweiser was driven to its delivery, 120 miles, I think it said, driverless. It was an automated truck, no driver. It's like one of those Tesla vehicles. We are now seeing all kinds of jobs that were done by people, even if you didn't go to university, manual labor jobs, things that you could learn to do now being automated robots and computer programs and other things that are taking away jobs. Well, you wonder, you wonder why younger people are now upset and worried and angry and feeling like they are being thrown to the wolves here when they come out of school. You are told, go to university, you will be educated, you will be capable, you'll be qualified to get work. So you go and you spend tens of thousands of dollars. You come out with a degree thinking, okay, now I'm ready to work. And when you get there, they say, yeah, sorry, there's no jobs. And if there are jobs, they're not going to be very well paying jobs. They might be part-time. They might be short-term. They might be contract. You're going to have to jump around to a whole bunch of different jobs over the course of your life. Nothing's going to really last for very long probably. It's going to be all just mishmash. And you try and work it and come up with some way to make a living. But it's not going to be like in the days that you grow up with your parents where you watched your mom or your dad working for a company for a while and build up some sort of nest egg and build up some sort of job security. That's gone now. You wonder why a prime minister, why anybody is getting heckled and getting yelled at, especially because they have said in the election, I'm going to fix this. This is one of the things we're going to work on and it doesn't happen it's a it is a daunting daunting troubling scary situation honestly for people who are coming out of university high school young people right now I I got to be honest I I'm I got kids who fall into that category it is a it is a difficult difficult thing it is not exactly stress-free you wonder why he got yelled at today there there you go there's why you're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, you may have noticed that the World Series starts tonight. In fact, in just a few, well, I was going to say it's going to, the first pitch is going to be in a few minutes, but by, by the time you get through the opening pitches and the national anthems and the introductions and everything else, I mean, it'll probably be, I don't know when, it's coming up soon. Um, But you can expect that many fathers who grew up as Cubs or Indians fans will be dragging their sons and daughters now into this fandom because that's how it happens, right? You're a fan, so your kid becomes a fan. Isn't that always the way it's been? Well, maybe not. A new study by my next guest suggests it may actually be the other way around your team of choice may actually be dictated by who your kids like. Or or your kids may choose a team other than yours, not because they like the other team so much, but basically because they want to give you a hard time. Not making this up. Craig Hyatt is an associate professor of sport management at Brock University. He joins me now. Craig, thanks for doing this tonight.
0: My pleasure, Scott.
1: Um, that last part, first of all, you're not suggesting that kids would do something just to be annoying little brats and drive their parents crazy, are you?
0: Believe it or not, uh, we've completed about 20 interviews uh,
1: since
0: this spring, and we keep hearing that over and over.
1: Uh,
0: apparently, children in the 21st century are a lot different than we were as kids.
1: See, I, I can't believe that a kid would be a contrarian like that. I thought that was just the domain of radio talk show hosts and university professors.
0: No, it's all over uh, all over uh, the prairies in southern Ontario.
1: <laughs> okay, so let, let's go through this, because you've been working on this study. You, you are, uh, in your work at uh, Brock University, as I say, you're a sports, um, uh, you, you, you teach sports, you teach uh, sport management, and you specialize in fans and fandom. But my understanding always was, okay, I grew up in a family where my dad, let's say, is a Maple Leaf fan, and then I am going to, likely, because Dad holds the remote for the TV set, uh, you're sitting there with him, suddenly a game comes on, Dad is going to make you watch the Leafs because that's who he likes, and eventually you will, by osmosis, just have the Leafs or whatever other team slurp into your body, and when you grow up, you will become a fan of that team. That's how it works, isn't it? Uh, That's
0: how it worked throughout the 20th century. Uh, You you mentioned the old days. Uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and... And there was one TV, and Dad had the remote control, and that was that. Um, Nowadays, there seems to be a TV in every room, and so if the kid doesn't want to watch the Leafs and the kid wants to watch the Habs, they get up and go to a different room and watch their favorite team play, and you're no longer reliant on your old man.
1: Who is now in the room weeping because you're watching the Habs and he's a Leaf fan?
0: Well, uh, uh, (laughs) if he
1: knows you've gone.
0: But uh, believe it or not, one of the interesting things is that the nature of parenting is changing, it seems to be, in the 21st century. Uh, My father, back in the 70s, would pay attention to me a few times a month, and uh, that's twice more than his father, my grandpa, ever paid attention to him at all. But nowadays, it seems like parents are right there taking an active interest on pretty much a daily basis as to what their kids are doing. And we've heard stories.
1: Which is a good thing.
0: Which is a great thing. But all of a sudden, these people who were die hard fans of of teams when they were in their teens and 20s, and and, uh, I mean, you know, collecting data in Southern Ontario, we have a lot of Maple Leaf fans who say that they have one son who followed in dad's footsteps and became a Leaf fan, and the other son, because he's so competitive with his brother, became a Habs fan. And all of a sudden, the dad feels guilty that he's sitting there watching the Leafs with son number one. Next thing you know, the next night, he's watching the Habs cheering for them to be a good dad and support the other son's team. And this is something that um, I certainly didn't see coming 20 years ago.
1: And is the dad, when this happens, when you're in your study, what you're finding, is he cheering for the team of his other son? Truly, because he has become a fan of them, or just to be a good dad and show support?
0: Uh, it's mostly to be a good dad and show support. Um, we're we're hearing parents use terms like "Okay, they're they're now my new secondary team." Okay, or a backup have, team. Yes, yes. Uh, I have an affiliation with them. <laughs> uh, but we had uh, we had one dad talk about how his team didn't make the playoffs this year. And his son is a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And so if you're going to watch hockey as a hockey fan, you might as well watch the Penguins with your son. And your son is so into it. And you see that look in his eyes. And suddenly you go back 35, 40 years and you see yourself. And you, and you imagine what it would, would have been like for your team to have won the Stanley Cup when you were that age. And you want this experience for your kid because that's the fun part about being a sports fan is potentially years of suffering till finally there's a payout. And this dad was sitting there, actually got himself a Pittsburgh Penguins jersey, even though he wasn't a Pittsburgh Penguins fan officially. But he had this secondary, temporary allegiance to be a good dad and it was one of the best nights of his life when he could celebrate the Pittsburgh Penguins winning the Stanley Cup this past spring with his son.
1: So I remember, we're talking with, um, with Craig Hyatt uh, from uh, Brock University Sport Management, I remember when the San Jose Sharks launched As an expansion team in 1990 91 something like that 93 something in that ballpark early 90s anyway and there was a huge deal at that time about the fact that they were the the colors the teal color and and it was like they'd gone through all kinds of uh, marketing surveys and everything else they knew that this teal thing was going to be the thing that younger fans Loved, And then I remember a few years after that when the Toronto Raptors launched, and it was the purple, and it was the Raptor name, and Jurassic Park was out, and it was it was a cool name. And then back when the Los Angeles Kings changed to the, the silver and black because it was the urban gang colors and everything else, all these things were, marketing-wise, were aimed at kids. And I don't think that any of those teams necessarily knew what you were going to be studying later on, but in retrospect... If what you're saying is true, those were genius moves. Let's win over the kids, and rather than win over dad, who's not going to get sucked into the marketing thing probably, let's win over the kids and have the kids be our salespeople to drag dad or mom into being a fan of our team.
0: Uh, that's, something, that's something we're seeing. Um, and now keep in mind that maybe mom and dad still keep their original loyalty. You know, Once a Leaf fan, always a Leaf fan. But if your son or daughter is big into these teams and you want to show support for them, you might go and maybe not spend $250 on the authentic jersey, but go to some discount place or on eBay and spend 75 bucks on a cheap knockoff so that you can sit there with your kids and, uh, and bond together over this team that means so much to them that over time may start to mean more and more to you. I mean, in a a perfect world, we would do a longitudinal study and follow these families for the next 50 years. Uh, As of what we have right now, it's merely a a snapshot, but it's an absolutely fascinating snapshot.
1: You know what, though? It becomes very expensive because my personal experience with my son, who incidentally, um, this was not why I had you on, but is also actually in Brock's sport management program right now. Um, he was less a fan of a team. He was a fan of a particular player when it came to hockey. He loved Daniel Briere, And whatever team Daniel Briere went to became his favorite team. So it became an expensive and confusing proposition for dad to try to keep up with this.
0: Um, I've had many students come to my office, they find out that I'm the consumer behavior sport fan guy in the department, and they come to my office 10 years ago with their Patrick Roy Colorado <laughs> Avalanche jerseys on, yep. or their Stevie Eiserman Detroit Red Wings jerseys, and they say, oh my God, for 20 years, I thought I was a Red Wings fan. But really, I'm a Steve Eiserman fan.
1: Exactly. And
0: he's about to retire what is going to happen next year when training camp starts and he's not there will i still be a fan of the detroit red wings and i'm thinking oh my god there's another longitudinal study
1: well and the and and a third one i would throw in there i guess and i maybe this doesn't count but when you have kids who are now picking the team and mom or and dad is now finding this as their affiliate team does winning trump everything, though? Because i got to believe when I look around and I see the Roger Center when the Blue Jays over the last year and a half or so have been winning, there are a ton of young kids that are at that stadium. And I can't believe they were all Blue Jay fans even two years ago when they were wallowing in mediocrity. It's got to have had an impact that suddenly winning makes everybody a fan.
0: Uh, absolutely. In fact, I've had uh, uh, two different students, one a graduate student and one an undergraduate student looking at an undergraduate thesis, who have come to me saying, "I want to study these bandwagon Toronto Blue Jays fans." <laughs> yeah. And I say, "Here's the problem. I know they're bandwagon fans. You know they're bandwagon fans, but if you put an ad in the paper or a posting online asking for bandwagon fans? no one is going to answer that call because in their mind they are as big or bigger than anyone who's been with the blue jays for uh, 40 years
1: right they're so, new fans but not they don't wouldn't perceive themselves as just being on for the moment
0: yes because to to prove that they're bandwagon fans we have to follow them and maybe in 5 or 10 years if the jays are the worst team in the american league we check in on these people and test our theory that they're bandwagon fans and have them say, well, yeah, I don't have season's tickets anymore. I don't watch too many games anymore. But uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon.
1: The interesting part about this then becomes, okay, so I'm a a kid. I've got my dad or my mom engaged in a team because I was interested in them. But for the teams themselves, it puts a real value on Winning, Because if, if we know now through your study, through your work, and I know you're still working on it, but if we know that parents will latch on to whatever team often their kids are interested in and kids will be interested in a winning team, you don't just win a fan when you become a winning team. You win potentially a family of fans every time you have a winning team. Quite possibly. and what's Which has really- to be lucrative for those franchises.
0: Especially now that people around the world can go online to your homepage and buy $300 authentic jerseys yep. right from your team store. Um, it was inconceivable just 20 years ago that you would have these team websites in 10 different languages, but now we have National Hockey League teams trying to win over fans in, in Finland, who maybe are interested in Patrick Laine, and all of a sudden they read things on your website in Finnish, and they're buying Patrick Laine jerseys uh, from the Winnipeg Jets team store. And if the Winnipeg Jets win, maybe everyone in Finland is all of a sudden buying these jerseys, along with lots and lots of people in Canada and the United States. So with all the 21st century distribution channels for revenue streams, there's so much more on the line than there were just 20 years ago.
1: Well, yeah, and, and look again, look at the Rogers Center. Look with the Blue Jays. What would you expect from what you saw? Five percent of people who were at the playoff games didn't have something Blue Jays on their body, if that?
0: Absolutely. Uh, it was noticeable in the crowd when people were wearing not only uh, non-Blue Jays gear, but stuff that wasn't that shade of blue.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, and, and you'd look at this guy thinking, how much did you spend for that ticket to come and bond with your fellow Blue Jays fans over this wonderful communal winning experience? And you can't go to Walmart and spend $15 on a T-shirt?
1: so you end up with this situation and we got to we got to go in just a second here but you end up with this situation where if you can create a winning team there is a it's more than just the finances of selling a ticket because you end up you win the kids over because they like to win they will Join up. Mom and dad will come on board because the kid is there and the kid likes winning and you want to spend time with them. And the kid wants a Blue Jays or whatever team's sweater for Christmas, a hat for Christmas. You go to the game, you're going to buy something. It is a, it seems to me anyway, based on what you're studying, there is a, besides all the money flowing around in sports, there is a massive lucrative benefit to winning Because of what you're talking about, if you can get a family on board, and people nowadays seem to be willing to spend money regardless, uh, there is a lot more money in winning than just in being out there and having a team on the field.
0: Absolutely, Scott. Uh, It used to be in in my day that you would find out casually who people cheered for, because it wasn't really socially acceptable for a middle-aged man to walk around town or go to a game wearing a team's jersey.
1: That's true. That's true. See yeah. that. yep.
0: Now, it's not socially acceptable to be a fan and not wear the team colors. And there are so many new products that come out. If you, if you go to the trade shows to see what the new licenses um, for various products are, are now on the market, and you can get uh, just about every consumer good in a branded package and so these fans will compete against each other to see who has the most logoed stuff on their body or on their car or in their home and if their boss allows them in their cubicle at work and the more you do this the more in your mind you move up the hierarchy of fans so it's not How much you love the team, it's how much you love the team and are willing to spend on their licensed merchandise with the logo on it and publicly display that for the whole world to see. But if the team
1: team stinks, you're not going to do that because you don't want to be the goofball who's supporting the crappy team.
0: Absolutely. Once the team starts losing people... Put it away. Put it away and hope that the team wins next year and pull it out again.
1: You know, the funny part about all this, uh, you're absolutely right. Once upon a time, not that long ago, an adult... Wearing the team sweater probably falls into dork squad because you know. Come on, grow up. You know that, that as a kid. You wanna you wanna wear a player's name on the back of your uh, on your back. I mean that it looks ridiculous. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna insult someone, but showing up at a baseball game as a 50 year old with your glove in the fifth deck is with your baseball glove now falls into the dork category. But you know, just my opinion. <laughs> um, listen, I understand that while you have come up with all these results, you are still taking further steps in this study. You're still looking for some human guinea pigs to continue this, right?
0: Yes, we could use another half dozen to uh, to ten people. And uh, my email address is c chyatt, C-H-Y-A-T-T, at ca. So if anyone who is listening is interested, uh, send me an email, and I would uh, love to be in contact with you.
1: Preferably someone who's got a family of sports fans, I would think.
0: Yes. We're looking for people who are a fan of at least one team in any of the Big Four North American Major League sports, plus the or or the CFL, who have at least one child between the ages of ten and twenty.
1: C Hyatt at BrockU.ca. Chris, listen, or, or Craig, I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks so much for the time tonight.
0: It was a blast, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: you know what? If you've got if you've got family, if you are a family of sports fans, you know it might be fun to be part of a a scientific study on your fandom. Put all that time that you have invested, time and money, put all that time and money that you've invested into your teams into some kind of scientific research. You can matter. (laughs) You can actually help drive science.
3: Now, uh, Craig was talking about... uh how you can't just ask a person if they're a bandwagon fan, but I mean, I've been a sports fan long enough. I can, I can tell you a quick and easy way to figure out a bandwagon fan. You ask them what other teams they're a fan of other than the blue Jays or, or in any case. So for instance, I knew a guy around, I met him around 2010 who was a fan of the Boston Red Sox became a fan in 2004. The new England Patriots became a fan in 2003. The, uh, uh, Bayern Munich in, uh, Germany, and the German national soccer team, hey, despite we not like having winning. a single
1: ounce of German blood in him. We all like winning. But, you know, the other way to find out a, a, a bandwagon fan is just say, hey, when did you become a fan of the team? And, and I mean, it would be that, it's that simple. And, and And when do you stop becoming a fan of the team? And truthfully, let's be honest. I mean, it is, I used to, I used to be as a sports guy, I used to be not offended, but kind of turn up my nose at the bandwagon folks. But you want to know something? You look at the Roger Center when the Blue Jays were going well. Who cares if they're bandwagon folks or if they've been long-suffering fans forever? I mean, I know that the long-suffering people say, oh, you know, they're not real fans. They just joined. They're just here for the good times. Well, who cares? It's a big party when your team is doing well. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I I will agree with you, but I have a caveat, and that is I—
3: do I still turn up my nose at anybody who lives in a city with a sports team and is a fan for reason, for the only reason of winning of a team outside? So any any Torontonians who are not Leafs fans simply because the Leafs
1: suck, I turn up my nose at them. Are you a, a fan of the Cleveland Indians because they just went up one nothing on the Chicago Cubs? There you no, go. I, I'm a Cubs fan for this series. The Scott Radley Show.
0: Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.